This is Truth, Justice, and Hope, the podcast that explores the modern era of Superman comics from a humanist perspective and examines real life through the lens of a Superman fan. I'm Grant Richter, and this is episode 69. Get your mind out of the toilet. Truth and justice, my friends, and welcome back to the show. And I have come to the conclusion that I should just stop making predictions at the end of the episodes as to what comics I am going to cover in the following episode, because I am still going to cover uh, the second half of the one minute longer arc from the eponymous Superman series with issue 30. But I had originally planned to start a new arc of trinity in this episode and that arc is written by rob williams and you may remember that i had decided to skip over a two-part arc in action comics that was written by rob williams because i really did not enjoy his writing and i enjoyed his writing in this arc or at least this issue of trinity just as much um, so no offense to Mr. Williams as a person, but I am not a fan of his writing. So we're going to skip that. So in addition to Superman number 30, we are going to start talking about Dark Knight's Metal with Dark Knight's Metal number one. But before we get to that, as always, I have some thoughts from here at the Fortress of Solitude. Good. Now, you guys probably know that I'm not a huge fan of at least the first couple years of the Superman reboot in the late 80s. I like it better than what came before the reboot. I'm, I'm not a fan of, of uh, pre-crisis Earth-1 Superman, as you know. Um, and I, I like some things about the burn run, and there's some things I don't. I like the art. But certain aspects of Superman's characterization by John Byrne, I'm not a massive fan of, and I, I don't really enjoy how it really bent over backwards to, uh, to avoid other Kryptonian elements while still trying to incorporate them in, in certain ways. Now, there is a miniseries that came out just before the... Um, ongoing eponymous Superman in action comics and the launch of Adventures of Superman started. And it kind of coincided with the, um, shortly after the release of the Man of Steel miniseries, and that is Legends. And if you're not familiar with Legends, it's about Darkseid's plan to turn the Earth against superheroes. Not against superhumans in general, just superheroes in effort to make it easier for Darkseid to take over the planet and, and get the people of Earth somewhat on his side, or at least make them willingly enough to, you know, willing enough to join his army of brainwashed soldiers. 
and I have mixed feelings about this story. Um, much like the the burn run, um, I'm not a fan of Superman's characterization in this series. It's not written by Byrne. It's drawn by Byrne. It's written by John Ostrander, who I'm generally a very big fan of. Um, I especially like his Star Wars stuff from the late 90s and early 2000s <clears throat> for Dark Horse. Um, and I don't like Superman's characterization because Legends is kind of like if everyone was on the same side during Marvel's Civil War. You know, superhumans are banned unless you're sponsored by the government and only that's not a split between the superhero community. And most of the other superheroes, they continue, you know, doing their thing in an, in an outlaw capacity. And Superman just stands down. He doesn't take sides. He, he capitulates to what Ronald Reagan is telling him to do, even though he knows it's not the right thing. And I don't love that. And, it's, and in my opinion, it's unnecessary. I realize that they did it so they could focus on the more second string characters like Blue Beetle and Black Canary and Guy Gardner and all that. But the, the eponymous Superman title in Action Comics did a good job of taking him off the board in other ways, like by sending him to Apocalypse. And I, I just think that works a lot better. I think you could just say uh, Superman's not in Legends because he's on Apocalypse right now until like the last issue of the series. Um, but one thing I do like about it is the use of the character uh, Glorious Godfrey. God Godfrey is a fascinating character to me. And if you're not familiar with him, he has kind of propaganda superpowers. He can make you believe anything he says. And Godfrey was created by Jack Kirby in the early 70s as part of his Forever People series. And there was an article in the New York Times in the early 70s about relevant comics. And it described uh, a handsome, toothy character named Glorious Godfrey, a revivalist. Godfrey is drawn to look like an actor playing Billy Graham in a Hollywood film biography of Richard Nixon starring George Hamilton. If you don't know who Billy Graham is, he was a prominent televangelist, um, more so even in the 80s and he was in the 70s, but he was a, a spiritual advisor to Richard Nixon. If you don't know who George Hamilton is, and if you care, you'll just have to Google that because that's a whole other rabbit hole I'm not going to go down. But um, the, it goes on to say the character was intended to embody the powerful, charismatic speaker who could talk people into justifying violence and evil. Um, and uh, this article I'm reading says that Kirby uh, biographer Mark Evanier states that Gloria Godfrey was based on evangelist Billy Graham, a lesser villain who toiled in the service of Dark Side, was inspired more directly by Billy Graham, who was then rather difficult to avoid on TV. Kirby was appalled at some of Graham's apocalyptic sermons, which to Jack were more calculated to instill fear than faith and to stampede people into service of Graham's causes. Jack called the foe Glorious, Glorious Godfrey, the name being a Kirby-esque pun. The comic book evangelist was God-free and also had some of the traits of TV pitchman Arthur Godfrey, a person I'm not familiar with, although the main reference in the visuals came from Billy Graham. Not evident on the pages he drew was Jack's belief, which he expressed on several occasions, that Graham and the president he counseled were both virulent, virulent anti-Semites. So, in um, Legends, Godfrey takes on the alias of G. Gordon Godfrey, who I believe was supposed to be a well-known psychologist. Um, and he goes on TV, and he gives essentially 
sermon-like speeches on TV denouncing superheroes. Now, one thing that I was not familiar with until recently, speaking of televangelists, because Billy Graham and his um, counter his contemporaries like Oral Roberts and um, uh, Jimmy Swagger, they very much helped influence the kind of socio-political direction of the Republican Party in the 70s and the 80s. And another of those counterparts was Pat Robertson, who has been in the news lately, which I'll talk about at the end of this talk. Um, and I found out that Pat wasn't Robertson's real name. It was a childhood nickname that he adopted at the beginning of his televangelist career. His given name was Marion Gordon Roberts. And when he began, just prior to beginning as a televangelist, he considered going by the name of M. Gordon. So there's a very real possibility with Ostrander, knowing what he knows, uh, Ostrander is very politically savvy, pretty knew this, and there's a better than average chance that this, this alias that Glorious Godfrey was using was probably based on Pat Robertson. And Pat's, Pat Robertson is what I want to talk about in this talk. And Part of the reason, I'm going to go into a lot of detail, and part of that is because when I mentioned Pat Robertson on Twitter last week, a lot of people, I'm assuming younger, went, who? And I had to give a brief summary, and they went, oh, yeah, that sounds like a bad dude. And yes, he was a bad dude uh, from the perspective of someone who values human rights and equality. So I'm going to kind of go into like a relatively brief but by no means complete um, list of things that Pat Robertson contributed to human society. Um, he became ordained minister of the Southern Baptist Convention in the early 60s and the Southern Baptist Convention advocated for racial segregation and opposed interracial marriage and same-sex marriages and they also forbid women from becoming ministers. In, also in the early 60s, Robertson founded the Christian Broadcast Network. Using that as his platform, Robertson claimed that he could cure AIDS through prayer. Now this in and of itself, in a bubble, is obnoxious, but might seem relatively harmless. But keep in mind that in the 80s, when the AIDS was an epidemic, there were some people who saw this and issued getting actual health care that might have prolonged their standard of living because Robertson convinced them he could cure their AIDS through praying at them on TV. And he also built thousands of people out of money by saying, you know, your donations make it possible for me to do this show and through this show I can cure AIDS through the TV. Um, he routinely dehumanized non-Christians, including atheists, Muslims, and Hindus, and made inflammatory remarks about other Protestant denominations. He regularly made hateful proclamations, including blaming national disasters on God's wrath against feminists, liberals, and the LGBTQ community, and frequently denounced the Equality Act. At one point on his show, he made racist comments about the appearance of Asians. He advocated for spousal abuse in situations where a husband didn't think his wife was being properly respectful. And he claimed that mass shootings in 2017 were God's punishment for people being disrespectful to Donald Trump. Another organization he founded 
was the American Center for Law and Justice, which advocated for prayer in public school and decried separation of church and state as being anti-religious. He also founded Operation Blessing, which claimed that it was helping uh, Rwandan refugees, uh, victims of the, of the surviving victims of the genocide in Rwanda in the 90s. And he raised millions of dollars off the claims that he was helping these people. Um, what he was actually uh, revealed to have been doing was just his operatives uh, reciting Bible verses at dying victims, while at the same time attempting to take credit for actual refugee aid being carried out by Doctors Without Borders. And worst of all, he uses as a front um, for the import of equipment and the export of product from a diamond, mine op diamond mining operation he owned that was co-owned by the dictatorial leader of Zaire. Um, he also negotiated a multi-million dollar gold mining contract with convicted war criminal and former president of Liberia, Charles Taylor, and was his main political ally in the U.S. And this is by far an extensive, is far from being an extensive list of all his scandals and controversies. If you Google Pat Robertson, there is a Wikipedia page dedicated to nothing but his scandals and controversies. I highly recommend you read it. Now, why is this a relevant topic for today? Uh, well, not necessarily for today, but recently, last week, Pat Robertson died at the age of 93. And I will admit that my first thought was good, because I've been following Pat Robertson's career since the 80s, when, uh, when his shenanigans began popping up in the news. But then I immediately went, nope, don't think good. Don't say good. I'm admitting to it now. But at the time, I was like, don't, don't, don't say yay on Twitter. Don't go to my wife and say yay. Um, I had to check myself because even though objectively he was a terrible human being, I do not celebrate the death of any other person. That's not to say that I don't think it's a good thing. All right, let me rephrase that. I would say it is good that he can no longer do harm to other people. But I'm, I don't celebrate the fact that he died. And the reason for that, that's not a very Superman thing to do. And again, this show is not just about comics. It's about a philosophy, the philosophy of truth, justice, and hope. It's a what would Superman do kind of situation. If when on the many times that Brainiac has died, Superman doesn't go, oh, well, good. He, he often laments that when a foe dies, it's a wasted opportunity. Because Superman wants everybody to eventually do good. This is elaborated on in a recent issue of Action Comics, where the super family, the extended super family, is fighting a bunch of cyborgs created by Metallo. And Con Kennan asks, well, why don't we just kill them? Because they're going to come back and they're going to go after us again. Why don't we just take care of the problem? And Superman says, because if we kill them, then we waste the opportunity to help them be better people. Now, Pat Robertson wasted that opportunity many times. He, I don't know what was in his heart 
And that doesn't matter because you're judged on what you do. And I'm sure there were some positive things that he contributed to the world in a small way. I know that he was an advocate for climate, uh, you know, climate justice, for us doing better in the environmental front. And he advocated for the legalization of marijuana. He might have been a good grandpa for all I know. But that, none of that matters because what he chose to do, the bad far outweighed the good. But it's still, it's still a, a waste of life, in my opinion, for someone to continually do these bad things and never take the opportunity for betterment. He chose greed over human life. He chose hate over over equality and over compassion and again it is it might be for it's probably for the best for humanity in general that he is no longer able to use a public platform and political connections to make life worse for many many people but you know just to reiterate the point one last time I won't celebrate the death of another human being. And all I can say is I, I hope that there are people out there who do similar things, who take the opportunity to do better, because that's what we all want. We want everyone to do the right thing. We want everyone to contribute to, to the benefit of all and when people turn down that opportunity, it's, it's, you know, not only aggravating, it's, it's not only frustrating, but it's sad. So I don't really have a point beyond that other than just, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's not for me to celebrate another human being's passing. And it's not my place for to, to tell you guys what to do or what to think. If you need to take a victory lap, take a victory lap. Do you do what's best for you. But those are all the thoughts I have on this topic for this week. So I'm just going to close things out by saying words are powerful and their greatest power comes from the truth. And with that being said, let's go talk about Superman. Okay, once again, we'll be starting our comic book journey this episode with Superman number 30, cover dated November 6, 2017. And this issue is written by Keith Champagne, with art by Ed Bennis, Tyler Kirkham, and Philip Tan, with letters by Rob Lee, colors by Danae Ribeiro, Tomeo Mori, and Sonny Go, with covers by Doug Mankey, with Jaime Mendoza and Will Quintana, and variant cover by Jorge Jimenez with Alejandro Sanchez. So the main cover is of Superman in the parallax armor, which is the, or the yellow parallax armor. So think of Hal Jordan's, Hal Jordan's parallax armor from the 90s, only black and gold instead of black and green, squaring off against Sinestro, and behind them, holding a giant yellow lantern battery, is the actual Parallax Entity. It's an amazing cover. And the variant is of a giant Sinestro with 
his right hand pressing down on his left hand, which is the one that wears the ring, which is curled up into a fist and is blasting yellow energy down at a small Superman who's pushing back against it. And as much as I love Jorge Jimenez's art, I have been a Doug Mankey fan since the early 2000s. And on the list of my top five Superman artists, Mankey is always at the top with Jimenez a very, very close second. So I have to give this one to, uh, to Doug Mankey. The inks on this one are amazing, by the way. Sometimes the inker can kind of make or break Mankey's pencils. I, uh, let's see, Barry, uh, Jaime Mendoza and Mo Quintana. I don't know who did what on this one, honestly, but it's great. So we open with a splash page of Superman in the parallax armor with his eyes glowing yellow and the phantom of uh, the parallax entity hovering behind him as Parallax is saying through Superman's body, I now control Superman Sinestro as you once so foolishly controlled me. Fear will always seep out through even the tiniest cracks in a wall of courage. Now, if you were not with us last episode, one, you should go check that out and I'll be here when you get back. But if you don't have time for that right now, a quick recap is in last episode, last issue of the series, Superman was investigating a rash of uh, child disappearances in Metropolis. He learned that the first child to go missing had been possessed by Parallax, who was luring the other children away to use them as like fear fuel. He was keeping them in like this big spider web of fear energy and feeding off of their fear, all in an attempt to lure Superman to him to take possession of Superman and Superman allowed himself to be possessed to keep Parallax from draining the children to death. At which point Sinestro showed up and blasted Parallax Superman in the back of the head. And from that point, the fight is on. Drinking some coffee with me today to stay to stay unparched. You guys know how I like my coffee by now. We see that the battle is high in the sky over the streets of Metropolis and Parallax Superman is saying, it's grip like a vice of steel making impossible to breathe, like the fear an infant suffers pulled beneath a powerful tide and able to catch its breath no matter how fierce the struggle. You taught me this. It's what it like to feel small how being helpless burns like the very sun and we see as they are entering Earth's atmosphere or not so much, but maybe just pushing against the air molecules so hard that they are burning. Uh, Parallax says, you've taught fear itself to seek revenge. I no longer see arrogance shining in your eyes, Kogarian, only terror. And they smash into the ground in front of the abandoned school where Parallax was keeping the children uh, captive. Uh, but Parallax takes another moment to gloat over Sinestro's, uh, what he thinks is Sinestro's unconscious or dead body. But uh, Sinestro takes that time to activate his ring, 
teleporting the two of them to the antimatter world of Quard, where the where the yellow ring originally came from. And we see that waiting for Sinister's return are a group of weaponeers um, who are guys with really cool looking winged goggled helmets and shields and uh, lightning bolts. They use lightning bolts as weapons, which is pretty neat. And on Sinestro's command, they all hurl their lightning bolts down at Parallax and weaken him enough for Sinestro to hit him with another bolt of yellow energy. And Sinestro tells the weaponeers to bring him down below to the core. And Superman wakes up. The parallax armor is now gone, and he finds he's being suspended from the ceiling of an ice cave. Luke Skywalker, Planet Hoth style, being gripped by what I assume is an octopus-like monster made of yellow energy, which, again, I assume uh, Sinestro has made from his ring. Um, Superman is just barely conscious. And Sinestro is gloating over him, saying that he knows that Parallax is still within Superman's body and he can feel him hiding. And uh, Sinestro says, we're down thousands of miles, Parallax, in the frozen heart of Cord. There's nowhere for you to run, nowhere to scream except me. Uh, Superman wakes up, tries to blast Sinestro with his heat vision, but Sinestro blocks it with ring energy. And Sinestro tells him, you would be wise to conserve the energy in Superman's body, Parallax. There are no yellow suns in this place, only the pale amber glow of fear. And he makes his thorny tentacled octopus construct wrap its tentacles around Superman's face. And he says it'll be far easier to break Superman's will down here and bring Parallax out of hiding. Um, Sinestro says that, that Parallax is just letting Superman act on his own. He's not, Superman is not fully free of Parallax's influence. Uh, Sinestro says he wants the Parallax entity to rebuild his core, to restore order to the universe using the glorious power of fear. Um, and Superman begins to argue with Sinestro. Sinestro blasts him in the face. And Superman just says, Hal wasn't kidding when you said you're a real piece of work. Um, but Sinestro says he's going to use his ring to exercise parallax from Superman's body. This, like, electricity-looking energy begins to crackle out of the ring. It goes in through Superman's eyes, ears, mouth, and nose. And uh, Sinestro says, the time for questions has long since passed. Let us finally come to learn. And I got to zoom in to see what this says. Sorry about that. Uh, what scares the mighty Superman? And we see a montage of images of what Superman's really afraid of. And most of them are people calling for help. We see Metropolis on fire. We see uh, people scattering in the streets as debris begins to fall around them. Um, uh, people are screaming, can you hear a Superman? Why don't you come as they're being, uh, just like obliterated by energy. But then we have three panels. One is of Lois 
being diagnosed with stage four cancer. That's really good timing, given, given what's been going on in the Superman and Lois TV series this season. We see another where Superman has transformed into a doomsday-like being and is killing the Justice League. We see where he's like smashing a spiked knee into Flash's face and we're basically seeing Flash's, Flash's head being destroyed, Wonder Woman being punched. Uh, we see the super doomsday holding Batman's cape, which looks like it has the remnants of a spinal cord trailing from it. It's pretty intense. And there's just one panel of just John being picked on by their kids and they're calling John a freak. Um, and in the middle of all this is just Superman screaming with all this yellow energy cascading out of his face, which is really, really intense. And uh, Superman has this kind of waking nightmare of John having turned evil and blasting Clark with heat vision energy. And Clark saying, this isn't how your mother and I raised you. And this hallucination of John is screaming, raised me. You were so busy saving the world. You were never there for me. Do you see me now, dad? Um, and that is when Superman wakes up from the nightmare. He shakes off the hallucination and says to Sinestro, what's supposed to happen now? Parallax supposed to come crawling out of my nostrils? I told you he doesn't live here anymore. Uh, Sinestro makes a barbed whip and hits Superman in the face with it and shouts, yes, it does. He goes to hit Superman again, but then Lissadrak comes in and grabs, his by the, uh, grabs him by the arm. Now, I first encountered Lissadrak at um, during the Sinestro Corps War and the all the stuff building at the Blackest Night. I don't know if she existed in Green Lantern continuity before her before this. Basically, if you know what uh, Shadow Lass from the Legion of Superheroes looks like, picture her just with uh, sharp teeth and even less clothes. Um, sexy blue evil goth lady, and um, and she tells Sinestro that it's him that Parallax fears. With every lash, it burrows deeper to avoid your wrath. Remove your ring. Offer it something it truly hungers for. The one thing it won't refuse. You. And she gives him a big old sexy hug. And says, let your guard down. Draw it out in, into the open. In the book, it is written that this is the way. I don't remember the name of the book that she's referring to um the like dark version of the book of oa or something or the book of the blackest night or something she's basically like an evil d and sexy d and d cleric but um sinestro accuses her of being possessed by parallax now puts her in a bubble says uh and then contemplates how best to torture her to draw parallax out of her but then he's hit in the back of the neck by Weaponier's lightning bolt. He re realizes that Parallax is now um, in the Weaponier. And we saw in the last issue that Parallax was able to spread itself out among several possessees, where it, it was talking through a number of kids at the same time, not just through the one kid who was possessed first and through the Weaponier. It might be Weaponer, but Weaponer sounds better. Uh, it says, I am part of every living thing, insect. You cannot stop me. You will never contain me ever again. 
Um, Sinister goes to blast the Weaponeer, but then Superman blocks the blast with his heat vision and says, Sinestro, don't. He's an innocent. That is really interesting. And I think it kind of comes back around. Um, mm, I don't know if I'm quite ready to go there yet, but it, it kind of goes back into that idea of what I was talking about in The Fortress of Solitude, where Superman ultimately, you know, we have truth, we have justice, we have hope, but Superman also represents redemption. Super, to say that the weapon here is an innocent is going a little far, but Superman wants every villain he fights to make a face turn, to eventually, you know, yes, there are consequences for your deeds. If you do wrong, you have to face those consequences. You have to face justice, but everyone has the potential to do good and to let, to cause the death of an enemy or let a potential enemy die or an opponent, antagonist, whatever, is wasting the opportunity for that person to turn around. And we see that the weapon here is shocked. He says, you saved me from Sinestro. Superman says, you hurt these people over my dead body. Parallax jumps out of the weapon here's body and goes from one weapon here to another. And we see every time it goes into one, they throw a lightning bolt at Sinestro. He blocks them inside an energy bubble of his own. And uh, the parallax entity escapes up through the mouth of the tunnel with Sinestro declaring that it is its destiny to serve him. Um, we see now that he has freed Lissa Drac from her, from her prison bubble. We see in addition to her tiny little bikini, she's also wearing thigh highs. So really leaning into the whole sexy girl bit. Um, I have to admit in the late 2000s when this was coming out, I'm like, Hey, but you know, I'm older now. I'm a dad now. Is, is it aesthetically, you know, appealing? Sure. Is it a little gross? Yeah. So, um, uh, and as they begin to fly up out of the tunnel, Lissa Drac asks Sinestro, what of Superman? And Sinestro says his power will fade and he will die frozen and alone here at the center of Cord, Like Jordan, he has the power to change the universe, but none of the will. His death is no loss. Let's go. And, and down below in the cave, Superman just says, well, that's one point of view. And he begins to blast the tentacle construct with his heat vision. And says, let's see what you're made of, Sinestro. Your will against mine. And up on the surface, we see that Sinestro is fighting the Parallax entity, we see that Parallax actually looks afraid, but um, Sinestro himself looks pretty beat up, and his word bubbles indicate that he is very tired. Uh, he says, it, it doesn't matter how long this will take. There's only one way this will end Parallax, with you broken by the force of my... Ugh. Then he passes out. Superman catches him before he falls to his death. He says, stubbornness must be common among lanterns. Um, and he references that he still hurt, Sinestro was still hurt with his last, last battle with Hal, and the caption says that is a reference to the first arc of Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps, 
I have not read that. I am intrigued by Green Lantern stuff. I'm not a huge Hal fan, and I think that first arc is drawn by Ethan Van Scriber, so I just I just won't read anything that he's drawn like ever again because he's super, super gross. But then we have a close-up shot of Superman addressing Parallax and says, as for you, you are terrifying. I'll give you that. But I've told you before, I'm not afraid of you. Do your worst. And we, so we see um, Parallax just kind of chomp Superman and swallow him. And we see inside of Parallax that Superman says, you don't seem to understand. Maybe you can't by the nature of what you are. Being afraid is a part of being alive. Fear exists inside all of us. I can't deny there's a little piece of you and everything. But people will always find a way to surprise you. There's so much more than terror in our hearts. There's also joy and hope and love. And we see that Superman has Sinistro's ring and he puts it on. And he like sticks his arm out and it's, it's glowing with yellow energy. And it says a single shred of hope can hold all the fear in the universe at bay. And mine gives me the will to capture you. I know you're scared right now, Parallax, but you'll be safe inside this ring. I promise I won't let Sinistro using, use you again. And we see um, Parallax kind of turning inside out and being sucked into the ring. And Superman says, I'm going to, give, I'm going to ask Hal Jordan to deliver you to Mogo. The Green Lanterns are best equipped to care for you there. You'll be safe. And Mogo is this giant sentient planet that is also a Green Lantern. And again, I really like this. Superman doesn't want to punish anyone. He wants them. You know, if, if, you do, if you do the crime, you do the time. But there's always a chance to do better. And it takes me back. I've mentioned before, for a little over 15 years, almost 16, I worked in a jail. And the, a jail is not there to punish anyone. It's not even there to be um, for convicted felons. It's not even there to be their sentence. It's where you go awaiting trial. Our job inside the jail was to, yes, keep them separated from the rest of society because that's the consequence of doing bad stuff, but also keep, to keep them safe from each other. And that was something as a supervisor I had to really get through to the heads of the the young piss and vinegar deputies who grew up watching cop movies and cop shows that you know, these aren't our enemies. These are people who, yeah, maybe they've done wrong, but we're here to keep, you know, we're to keep them safe and secure. That's our job. He's Superman wants to keep Parallax safe. Parallax is a terrible entity. It's, re it's responsible for the deaths of probably millions of people in the DC universe. But it's, Superman, it's not Superman's job to punish anyone. And once you are confined, he will ensure to the best of his ability that you will be kept safe while you do your time until you have the opportunity to do better, you know, potentially in the future. And I love that. Um, we see that a different artist has drawn Lissa Drax's uh, sexy little bikini costume slightly different. <laughs> I don't know these artists well enough to know one from the other. Um, but Superman kind of kind of gently mocks Sinistro. He's like, lose something? Um, 
excuse me, um, uh, Sinestro says, return it immediately and you will leave Cord alive. And uh, Superman says, I'd like to see you take it. Sinestro looks around at all the weaponeers and um, super, we see Superman's eyes are now glowing with heat vision energy and says, if I were you, I think very carefully about your next move. And Sinestro has Alyssa Drac teleport them away. Superman turns to the weaponeers and says, from what I've gathered in my brief time here, Sinestro has bullied you people, terrified you into serving him. And he's got one hand resting reassuring, reassuringly on one of the weaponeers' shoulders. A far cry from the fierce warriors I've known the legends of the weaponeers of Kor to be. You just saw with your own eyes Sinestro turn tail and run away. And we see the weaponeers looking at each other like, um... Maybe it's time to ask yourself, what have you been afraid of all this time? It's never too late to better your situation, to become more than what you've been. It, all it takes is a choice. You, Weaponeer, the one I kept Sinestro from vaporizing down below. And one guy goes, me? And they're all identical looking. So, you know, <laughs> good for Superman for being able to tell one from the other. They're all white guys. <laughs> we can't see their their hair or their any other distinguishing features. Um, those thunderbolts in your quiver, it's my understanding they serve two functions. You can either use them as a weapon or as a means of transportation. Take one out of its quiver and hit me with it full force right in the chest. But before you do, think about what I've said. The life you lead is the life you choose. I hope you'll make the right choice. And we see in the next scene that Superman is back home and he's checking in on John. Uh, who is asleep in bed. Lois comes in, asks him if he had a tough day at the office. He says, you don't want to know the half of it. And Lois says she called on the news where all the missing kids have been returned home. And, uh, you know, they, Lois says, you know, let's go downstairs and have some pie and talk about it. And Superman says, I'll meet you in the living room, Lois. Right now, it feels good to just stand here and breathe. And we see John in his sleep after getting a kiss from Lois kind of smiling in his sleep. It says uh, also in the caption box for the fate of Parallax, check out Hal Jordan and the Jet Green Lantern, Green Lantern Corps number 30 and 31. I won't be covering that on the show, but depending on who the artist is, I may check it out just for my own sake. So that is the end of the two-part. Um, well, let's see. The covers call it the minute longer arc and the description on the app calls it the fear itself arc. I don't know. I like the minute longer arc. It's because it's based on a speech that Superman gives in issue 29. Again, I really, really like this. I really like the idea of Superman's hope overriding the, the fear of the yellow lantern energy that lets him even control a fear ring. And that's, pretty great. I like it a lot. I've said before, um, I really like the idea that was laid down in Future State, where one of Superman's de uh, descendants becomes a Blue Lantern. One of the shortcomings of the Blue Lanterns is they have no offensive capabilities, which is why they get wiped out in the comics. I like the idea of a Blue Lantern who already has other powers or who is like a really skilled martial artist or something like that. So, I'd like to see more done with the Blue Lanterns, but this was excellent. I, I love the whole theme of this. Really, really good. 
kind of heartwarming story from my perspective. So that is the end of our first comic book discussion. Um, before I take a quick break, I just want to remind everyone that Truth, Justice, and Hope is now an ad-free podcast. If you would like to help support the show, you can do so at my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. And if you'll stick around at the end of the episode, I will go over all the benefits you get from becoming a patron. But stand by, and I will be right back to talk about Dark Knight's Metal number one. And again, part two of our comic book coverage, this episode is Dark Knight's Metal number one, cover dated August 16th, 2017. This issue is scripted by Scott Snyder with pencils by Greg Capullo, inks by Jonathan Glepion, uh, colors by FCO Placencia, letters by Steve Wands, uh, main cover by Capullo, Glepion, and Placencia. Um, the, the way they do the credits, they put these like goofball little nicknames in them. So I'm going to have the brain filter that. Uh, Jim Lee, Scott Williams, and Alex Sinclair did one of the variant covers. Andy Kubert and Brad Anderson did a second variant cover. And John Romita Jr., Danny, uh, Mickey, and Teen White did a third variant cover. Sorry, that was a little painful to get there. I, I just refused to read the little cheesy nicknames. This whole series is very cheesy and it is so on purpose. Um, if you have not read this, but you are a fan of the Adult Swim cartoon Metalocalypse, it reminds me a lot of that in that it is both a parody of metal or Metalocalypses and a love letter to metal and this is both a parody of how how much of the center of the dc universe batman had become at the time which is mostly due to scott snyder and a love letter to batman at the same time so if you if you have read this and you don't love this series just tough it out with me because it's, I find it actually very, very fun. Um, even though this is not a Superman-centric story, I'm going to cover every event in DC as it comes through because it affects the whole universe. And I don't want to do, hey, back in that story, we didn't cover the whole universe change. So we're going to talk about it. So the main cover is of um, the Justice League, Superman, Wonder Woman, uh, Cyborg, Flash, Hal Jordan, and Batman just kind of, you know, being cool and looking at the camera. You know, it's pretty good. And there's like a field of stars in the background. Um, the Jim Lee cover is of Wonder Woman in some gladiator armor fighting a big robot. And that looks pretty great. Um, I know I have not been super kind to John Romita in, or Jr., um, R.I.P. to John, John Romita Sr., by the way, um, on the show before, but I do like this cover. It's Superman, also in gladiator armor, holding a shield, and I hesitate to call it a morning star, 
but it's a club with spikes um leaping at mongol and mongol is punching the shield and honestly <laughs> the cover i love the best doesn't have superman on it but it's superman um, i'm sorry it's batman riding on the head of a t-rex as the t-rex like charges through the jungle and they're coming at the reader and it's an amazing cover and i love amy cuber okay so um I, to be fair, I have not read most of Scott Snyder's Batman run. I am working on it. What I want to do before I get into his run in New 52 and in Rebirth is I want to get caught up with all this stuff from the late 2000s first. So I'm, I'm really starting, I'm a few issues into Morrison's run, also drawn by Andy Kubert, um, at the point I'm in. So I really don't know a lot of the backstory in this. So it'll reference it. I'll I'll reference the references, but I'll be honest that some of it I am I do not have a reference for. But we open with a shot of a lizard 50,000 years ago running across the desert, and it's running across these three symbols. One looks like a wolf's head, one looks like a bear claw, and one looks like a bird. And we're reading from Carter Hall's journal. Carter Hall course golden age hawkman he's saying lost this history is a story a story about how in these lands during the age of stone there were three great tribes of man the tribe of the wolf of the bear and of the bird all were nomadic and shared a grand dream a dream of discovery then we see a batman-like shadow looming over them it says but soon a fourth tribe rose a dark tribe unlike the others one of twisted dreams dreams turned inside out and now we see the symbols covered in blood and uh, the captions say, and with its terrible rise, so began the age of metal. And on the next page, we see what the covers were referencing. We see the Justice League on War World, all wearing gladiator armor. And they have defeated a number of gladiatorial foes. We see Mongol, gloating about them, how the Justice League has been brought low, and how he has managed to negate their powers. He says it just took um, of the dust of a few thousands, uh, no, sorry, let me zoom in. All you need is the dust of a few thousand crushed red suns. We see Superman, the S on Superman's armor. We, zoom, we close in on the Flash's boots. Some vibration domination boots from our friends, the Dominators. We close in on the snake symbol on the Wonder Woman's armor. It says a lock from Stethno, the Elder Gorgon, venom infused, and a few more trinkets for the rest. And suddenly these heroes are forced to fight for real. And with him, we see Shackled is, and I have to reference my notes, I'm sorry, Hiro Akamura, the... The other toy man, not, uh, not uh, what's his name, Shot, Winslow Shot, but the kid who I only know from the first arc of the early 2000s Superman Batman series, um, the kid that made the giant composite Superman Batman robot and uh, who Jeff Loeb used to make a joke about Power Girl's boobs. I, I know a lot of people like early 2000s Superman. I 
am not a massive fan of it. There are story arcs in it I like. I like what's so great about Truth, Justice, and the American Way. I like the return to Krypton. I like um, the ending war, or the ending battle, being one that's the follow-up to Truth, Justice, and the American Way. But for the moment, I don't like Jeff Loeb as a writer. And I know a lot of people love For All Seasons, and For All Seasons is good. But for the most part, I'm not a Jeff Loeb fan. And he was kind of the Dan Jurgens of the early 2000s. So, yeah, he took it in places. I'm just has never resonated with me. But anyway, um, uh, where Hero says he is has created a new weapon for Mongol, or was forced to create a new weapon for Mongol, and he calls it the Fulcum Abominus. And Mongol's like, I love it. Now let us fight. And we see all these goofy-looking robots come out of, of chambers in the gladiatorial arena. And again, this story is very goofy. And these robots look kind of cool, and they look kind of goofy. There's a big blue and red one that goes after Superman. And there's one that looks like a giant gold, like spider praying mantis that goes after Wonder Woman. And one that looks like a big orange and green crab that goes after Aquaman. For some reason, Green Lanterns looks like a big green frog. Um, uh, Cyborgs looks like it's a anthropomorphic turbine. Uh, Flashes is has like uh, buzzsaw hands and feet. Again, very fun, very silly. Batman's looks like a giant anthropomorphic bat. And these things are kicking the Justice League's butt. And Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman says, well, let's see if we can get the robots to tear off our armor. Superman says, no luck. The bat robot goes after Batman. Batman looks inside his mouth and goes, huh. And he reaches in and sees a Batman symbol on the inside of it. He presses it. It goes boop. Because, of course, it does. The mouth of the robot chomps down on Batman's arm. And we get one of my favorite lines in this whole series where Flash says, either we help him or he's going to need... He's talking to Aquaman and says... Either we help him or he's going to need your old harpoon hand. And um, there's an asterisk uh, for a caption. And the caption box says, see the 90s. I love that. <laughs> because in this, by now, in the Justice League, in DC, uh, Aquaman is still wearing the, the kind of classic orange shirt with green pants. But he has long hair and a beard. And long hair and bearded Aquaman just looks weird to me with two functioning hands. I, I kind of sort of love Pirate Gladiator, Cybernetic Harpoon, Aquaman. But uh, all these mechanical tendrils lash out of the robot's mouth and pulls Batman in. And he, told, he tells the others to follow his lead. So all the other leaguers, they reach into the mouths of the robots they're fighting. And they, and they activate the buttons that have their individual symbols on them. And as with all the others... These tendrils shoot out of the mouths and they pull everybody inside. And Batman says, listen to me, be calm, let it happen. It's all in the name, Fulcum Abominus. Abominus, like something that defies the order of things. And Fulcum, from the late Roman period, a warrior formation cry made from deep in the throat. A call to lock shields. Toyman is giving us a clue, his way out of this, a trick he played on Mongol. And Flash says, like, I don't understand. Wonder Woman says, I know this cry. It means come together as one. Um, 
<laughs> and uh, Superman says, Bruce, please tell me you're kidding. Cyborg says, please tell me you're not, because if what you're saying is what I think you're saying, um, and we see that all the robots have Voltron together, or, or either that or it's morphin' time, and they've all formed this big gestalt robot with Superman's as the, the torso, uh, the Flash and Aquaman as the legs, Wonder Woman and Cyborg as the arms, and of course, with Batman as the head, and Cyborg's arm is a big flamethrower. <laughs> um, and they all start to go after Mongol, and Mongol turns around and run. Barry complains about having to be one of the feet, because, of course, in Voltron, you know, it's kind of the ongoing joke that the feet don't do much. Um, pretty, pretty fun. Um, so later, they the job is done, and they're flying back home. And I really do like the banter in this. Um, Bat Green Lantern has made like kind of a big space plane. Batman's in the cockpit. He's telling the rest to get ready. Atmosphere approaching in 30 seconds. Hal says, you do know you're not flying this thing. And Aquaman, who's outside, kind of like holding on to the planes that flies through space and wearing a breathing apparatus, says, that's why I chose to ride outside the ship in the cold dead of space. Um, and uh, it was referenced during the gladiatorial fight that Superman doesn't know how Mongol got free. Because remember, at the end of the revenge story arc, um, Zod punched Mongol into space. And apparently he had been taken into custody by the people of the planet Brawl, B-R-A-A-L. If that sounds familiar, just hang on and we'll get to that towards the end of the issue. But uh, Bruce is talking about he doesn't understand how the Brawlians could have lost Mongol in the first place. And he asks if this has anything to do with why, why Batman came to the fortress and with what happened in the cave referencing uh, the uh, Dark Days, the Forge, and the casting, which we covered a few episodes ago. And uh, Superman asks Batman if he wants to talk about it. Batman says he's not ready. But just then, Alfred cuts in on the communicator and says, you have to see this for yourself. And we see that a giant mountain has pushed its way up in the center of Gotham City. And it's explained that the city like literally moved aside to make room for this thing. But still, there's a bunch of buildings that have been knocked over and a bunch of people are hurt. And there's been a bunch of property damage. And there's this dark lightning all in the sky. And uh, Batman tells Alfred to scramble the Bat family. And Hal Jordan can detect all this energy that's coming off of with his ring. Uh, Aquaman says that whatever the mountain it's made out of, it's, it's not volcanic. It didn't come from beneath the surface. Superman's scanning, it says it's hollow. He can also see all kinds of energy. The Flash does a recon and he finds a giant door and it has the purple circle with a, um, with a stylized hourglass in the center that is the symbol of the challengers of the unknown. And, um, and they said that Barry like, is feeding the image to Cyborg and Cyborg says, I've run over it a thousand times already. It just keeps coming up unknown. And again, in this continuity, there has not been a Challengers of the Unknown. So this is a literally unknown quality to the rest of these two heroes. 
And so they go in the mountain and they find this thing that kind of sort of looks like a, like, like a lunar landing pod, only a lot bigger and a lot rounder and just made out of metal. It's some kind of titanium alloy with no engines. And they go inside a bit and they find uh, five life support chambers with people in suspended animation. They don't know who they are. Um, and then in the corner, they find a robot that they don't recognize, an android with red skin and a blue cape and a yellow arrow shape on his head, um, who we know as Red Tornado. But again, in this continuity, since the new 52, Red Tornado has not been a thing, as far as I know. So they are discovering this character for the first time. And um, Hal and Cyborg are both picking up these energy emanations. They say it's getting stronger and stronger. And Hal says, well, whoever they were, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, whatever's going on, it wasn't good because the people before they went into suspended animation wrote, it looks like in blood, it's chasing us, run. But then these three characters in military gear with like SWAT helmets come in, they've got full face mask and on their chest, is this yellow circle with a stylized hawk head in the middle. And these are the Blackhawks. And leading them is Lady Blackhawk, who takes off her mask and reveals that her name is Kendra Saunders. Now, if that name is familiar to you, that was the name of Hawk Girl from uh, Jeff Johns' JSA and Justice League of America series. She later went on to be uh, Justice Society of America series, excuse me. She later went on to be in the late 2000s Justice League series, um, which started out being writ written by Brad Metzer, which I really like Brad Metzer's political thriller novels. I really don't like his comic book writing. She went over to take on the take over the Hawkman um, ongoing solo series in the late 2000s after Infinite Crisis. Um, we see here that she is now a woman of color. So that is a, a, a change from incontinuity. And um, she says that she needs them to go with her now because that she is preparing for a full-scale invasion. And we go from there to an island in the South Pacific. And she says, There are places on this planet that lie outside the normal math of things. Some exist in what we believe are phantom frequencies. Spots where cosmic energy conducted through the Earth's metal core cancels itself out creates a kind of static that disrupts space-time, a hidden pocket. Some are magic-induced, some are naturally occurring. Dinosaur Island, the Mascara, Skitaris, Nandaparbat, and this place. And the, it, it does kind of look like both, both Skitaris and Dinosaur Island, because we see where there are feathery, um, like, velociraptor-type creatures running around the, the, the bush, outside this building this is very cool um skyscraper like building with the stylized hawk design on the outside and in a kind of open air space outside kind of a kind of a pavilion the justice league is standing around talking to kendra and there's this big hawkman big golden hawkman statue in the background and um we will go on to see that um, in this continuity, Kendra 
was Hawkman's partner. And I'll elaborate on that um, in just a second. But what this reminds me of with Hawkman being tied to the Black Hawks, it reminds me of in the JSA series in the early 2000s, uh, written by Jeff Johns, where everything kind of came back to Hawkman. Because we saw in that series, in the very first arc, a woman who appeared to be Lita Hall, um, who was the wife of Carter Hall's son, um, Hector, gave, she was found unconscious, comatose, pregnant. She gives birth to a baby. The baby magically ages up, turns into Hector Hall, who becomes the new Dr. Fate. Um, in, a, in a time travel adventure, it was revealed that um, Nabu, the, the, the long-dead wizard who empowers Dr. Fate, was an advisor of Prince Kahufu, the, at the time, original incarnation of Hawkman, that Black Adam was Prince Kahufu's champion, and that Kahufu's arch nemesis was uh, Vandal Savage, and his primary minion was a proto-version of Metamorpho, all these things are tying back into Hawkman. Plus, in addition to that, we were reminded that the current Lord of the, of the Dreaming is Hawkman's grandson, Daniel, and also the woman who was believed to be Lita Hall was just an illusion, and it actually turned out to be Don Granger, Dove of Hawk and Dove, who was impregnated by uh, Hank Hall, who at the time was... Um, Oh, not Parallax, because that's how um, extant. She was impregnated by Hank Hall when he was extant. And so they were actually tying, in a way, Hank Hall, whose last name is also Hall, who also has a Hawk theme in with Hawkman, Carter Hall. So everything came back to Hawkman in early 2000s Justice Society stuff. Um, she goes on to talk about um, how she and Carter, you know, at, at this time, it's still, it's still believed that uh, Khufu and his queen were the first incarnations. They were stabbed with nth metal. They reincarnated over and over again through time. It's just as they were partners who, you know, fought evil together. It doesn't specify romantic partners, which I do like. I like Kendra a lot. I really dislike Jeff Johns's version of Carter Hall. Robert Venditti's version is pretty good, but I don't like the two of them being together. I like them being like adventuring partners, not romantic partners, but it can be interpreted either way. Um, and she goes on to elaborate about Nth Metal, um, that this particular fragment that she has is the last pure piece left in the universe. It's the only material capable of giving vastly different powers to those who possess it. Eternal life, flight, mystical vision, it defies all rules of science and magic, and it seems to broadcast a strange kind of energy. Um, she goes on to talk about how, um, how he recruited the Black Hawks and how he apparently recruited the the late 80s, very early 90s starman, Will Payton, who we'll, learn, we'll find out more about when we get into the ongoing Justice League series. 
after uh, Justice League No Justice, how he recruited Will Magnus and uh, T.O. Morrow. We see the Metal Men, and, or a version of the Metal Men, and Red Tornado behind them, and how he founded the Challengers of the Unknown, which included Red Tornado. And that um, she talks about how Carter was convinced that there was something on the other side. And they're like, well, what do you mean the other side? So she pulls out this map of the multiverse. And it's it's the, the whole Grant Morrison, like, Ori of Worlds thing, right? Um, like the Rock of Eternity and the House of Heroes is in the middle. You've got all these other Earths surrounding it and uh, New Genesis and, and Apocalypse are just outside of it, and the source wall is at the very edge. And she says, you know, look, we thought that, that all the multiverse was 52 worlds made of matter and antimatter, but she also goes on to talk about how dark matter makes up like 90% of the, of the universe, and there's something else. So she takes the map and she flips it over, and she says, Nth Metal came from here. She is a dark universe. And the Flash, Wonder Woman's like, well, all I see is the back of a map. This reminds me a lot of the first season of Stranger Things where Elle is trying to elaborate what the upside down is. And she takes their, their D&D like dungeon map and flips it over. This feels like a direct callback to that, even though they're not related. But this feels very inspired. Um, and she says... Um, so look now look at the map and imagine nth metal connecting us to a realm much older and much vaster than ours an oceanic subconscious realm our tiny multiverse floats on and she says he doesn't have proof um, but carter sent a team and we see the photo of the challengers to prove me wrong an entire mountain was ripped out of reality so that's why the challengers and red tornado haven't been seen in this continuity so far the last transmission we got from them were screams. Screams about whole worlds of nightmare and evil. Please to shut the door and never open it again. She goes on to say, There was a warning from Red Tornado just before we lost contact. A warning about a thing down there. He called it a great dragon, a beast that prowled the dark, and a name. Carter had a journal. It's been lost ever since he followed the challengers into the dark. But I searched the clues he left here. And what I found is record of a beast seen in visions, transmissions through high metals, an original being, dark, uh, no matter, antimatter, and now darkness. I found many names for it in history. A dark horn god of nightmare, of cursed stories. I see it in other deities, Set, Lord of the Rabisu, all play, prayed through by metals, through metals by the dark tribe, enemy of the birds. The modern name comes from the words Barbarous and Aes, foreign metal, Barbatos. Batman's like Barbatos. So this is the first of many, many puns that we will begin to see unfolding that will really ramp up to, you'll forgive the term, the nth degree when we get eventually to the death metal miniseries. Kendra says that legend says it comes here through a human doorway, someone treated with five divine medals by its followers, medals off the periodic table, a hero who collects night, a hero whose nightmares it collects at his army. 
And um, Kendra says, that's the great evil, but that's who we're fighting. But there's something even worse, and she refuses to say its name. Because I found another word that came up over and over with mention of Barbatos, a traveling vessel, reference to the wagon that would carry the beast here. Wagon, the root of the name Wayne, Batman, the one who let it in. And the Justice League is like, whoa, no, 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 hang on. And uh, all the, the Blackhawk, they turned their guns on Batman. Kendra says she destroyed her wings after everything that Carter's, uh, after everything that Carter did. And now after Challenger's Mountain appears on his home turf, but then Red Tornado wakes up and shouts, you open the door, breaks out of his glass tube, begins hurricaning everything around. And the Challengers realize that Batman have escaped with the shard of Nth Metal. And, <laughs> and Hal says, so you brought us all here so you could trap Batman. That was your plan. You obviously don't know him very well. Guy probably already had a ride ready the moment we landed here. And I promise you, it's something state-of-the-art. And we see Batman riding away on a pink feathered velociraptor. Um, and Batman gets on the communicator to Alfred and tells him to ready the hyper sub. Now we go back to um, Carter Hall's journal which says, I told you how it began, the story. Now let me tell you how it'll end, how it will end if I'm wrong and the dark is a place of evil as the immortals and Kendra suspect. The end will begin with a shot fired from the dark, something to tear a hole in reality, like a giant mountain being dropped in the middle of Gotham City. And then as dark energy pours into this world, the visions will start. Visions to those attuned to the power of Nth Metal and we can see it's like a it's a all black page with with dr fate's face or helmet and what could either be one of the metal men or steel saying you know something's getting closer i don't understand we see the plastic man egg just making a giant um exclamation point and we in in the middle of the page there's this white yellow circle and there's these very terrifying looking demonic beings trying to claw their way out and the journal goes on to say a glimpse of what is coming a dark enemy already on its way here we go from there to the bat cave and the journal goes on to say on its way here to find the one barbatos has been after all these years the wagon for the dark horn god son of the house of wayne and Alfred is begging Batman to tell the Justice League what he knows. Batman says, we're not, they're not ready to know. We're too close. I won't risk them. And he's created energy signatures to fool the Justice League looking for them. Uh, he is examining the nth metal shard. He says, I've never seen a pure sample, not since before the purge. The dark energy coming through it, incredible. It must be why the Brawlians weren't watching Mongol. Brawl is heavily magnetic. So if you recognize the name Brawl, it's the planet Cosmic Boy is from in the Legion of Superheroes. And Cosmic Boy, of course, in the people of this planet have magnetic powers. Um, and uh, as Batman is examining the, the, uh, the fragment, Alfred can hear a humming and like there's some kind of vibration going through the mansion 
And Carter Hall's journal goes on to say, and if Wayne has been prepared by the Judas tribe, if the agents of Barbatos have set in motion, it's coming, there will be no running from him, no running for any of us. Um, uh, Batman says that the sound is coming from upstairs. Carter Hall, Hall's journal says, Barbatos has been after its target since the dawn of man. It first saw him in a final moment of crisis. And we see a scene of like prehistoric man and a lot of people have been slaughtered. And in the caption, the words final and crisis are in bold and they're right on top of each other. So it's referencing it because I don't think it explicitly explains it here. I think it's explained elsewhere that this is referencing when Batman was sent back in time by the Omega beams fired from by Darkseid during the final crisis event back in 2009. So this all began back with final crisis. And um, the journal says, and now if you're reading this, a second moment is upon us. And Batman goes upstairs and he finds that there's now a Batman symbol glowing on the floor of his study. And the journal says, I have left this journal for you in your house, the house of the family I trust most. Turn from the Bat tribe to tribe bird, the Waynes. So the Waynes grew up or the Waynes are descended from the Bat tribe, but then they defected from the Bat tribe to the Bird tribe. Left it in the secret place that will make itself known to you through metal. Should I be wrong? Should energy from the dark rise to foretell the coming of Barbatos? So the symbol is only glowing because this Barbatos is on the way. You may feel it coming already. You may have felt your whole life watching, shaping from the dark. The final case. I give you this journal to... I give this journal to you for a simple reason, to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I was wrong, and I'm sorry for everything coming. So Batman re uh, removes this Batman symbol-shaped panel of the floor of the, of the mansion, he, and he finds Carter Hall's journal down in it. So everything we've been reading from Carter, Carter Hall's journal is from Batman reading it itself. And so Batman takes it out, he flips through it, he says, my God, it's all true. And from behind him speaks Daniel, Lord of the Dreaming, who I referenced earlier, who says, Yes, Batman, yes, it is. I am Dream of the Endless, and I have come to tell you that this nightmare has only just begun. And that is the end of the first issue of Dark Knight's Metal. Again, Superman is not a huge part of this story. He has his part to play, as all the Justice League members do, but it's still a really, really fun story. I'm very much looking forward to continue discussing it. So let me take one final, very, very short break. It'll just be a second or two for you, and I'll be right back to wrap everything up. And that does it for episode 69 of Truth, Justice, and Hope, a Superman podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to me ramble on about these issues as much as I enjoyed reading them and talking about them. If you would like to help support the show, to help it keep going, and to help it keep growing, you can do so by joining my Patreon community at patreon.com slash truth, justice, and hope. If you do, there are a ton of reward episodes there for you, where so far I have been talking about, I'm 
about my favorite classic post-crisis Superman stories. I am down to about the last third of Reign of the Supermen. In fact, we'll see the official return of Superman in the next issue that I'll be putting out probably tomorrow, as you guys are hearing this. Very fun. Once I finish that, I'll be putting the 90s on hold for a time. I'll be switching gears. I'll be doing several episodes talking about 2006's Superman Returns. And when I finish that, I will be moving into the late 2000s post-Infinite Crisis era of Superman books. Whoa, it is thunderstorming. <laughs> that startled me a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because that has, um, it's like neck and neck with what's going on right now with Philip Kennedy Johnson in Action Comics and with Joshua Williamson in Eponymous Superman. But yeah, it is, is one of my two favorite eras of Superman books, and I'm excited to talk about it to, to my, my patrons. Um, other ways you can help the show out, if you are so inclined to do so, is to leave me a five-star review wherever you get your podcast and share notifications about new episodes on social media, which you can find on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Spoutable by searching for Truth, Justice, and Hope. Now, I, I said I wasn't going to predict what I'll be talking about next episode, but there is a very, very high degree of certainty that I will be talking about uh, or beginning to talk about the Oz Effect story arc in Action Comics, beginning with issue 987 and continuing to talk about Dark Knight's Metal with issue two of that series. I don't foresee how that could change, but, you know, just in case, don't hold me to it. But that, that's probably what we're going to do. And I'm really looking forward to talking to you guys about that. But until then, remember to fight fear at every turn with an open mind and an open heart. Love you.